Who will take out your Bibles? Go to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter number 19, beginning with verse number 45. Now, if you follow along closely, you'll be reminded that we did not actually get this far last Sunday. And I am skipping ahead in the verses. And this does go against our rules. So if anybody needs to censor me right in the moment, that's all right. But we covered the verses in between during Holy Week. It's Palm Sunday verses. We've already been in these verses of Luke. It was tempting to just go play golf this week and not study and just preach those again to you and hope you didn't remember. But, but I didn't do that. Luke chapter number 19, we're going to be looking at verse 45 down through chapter number 20, verse number 8. And this is where we see Jesus in the, the temple. He's made his way into Jerusalem. He's had his triumphal entry. The people have stood on the sides and says, praise is the Lord who comes in the name of the Lord. And they've had the palm branches and all of these things that we talk about that time of the year prior to Easter each year. Now we find Jesus entering the temple and he cleanses the temple. And then the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief of the people begin to question his authority. So that's what we want to talk about today is we see in these verses, Jesus's interaction with these people as he cleans up the temple and then they question his authority. We're going to begin in verse number 45. Before we do, let's have prayer. Lord, thank you for time together in your word. We ask for your blessing upon this time as we read and preach your word. May we receive it that we might be edified in you. May your Holy Spirit guide us to all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Luke chapter 19, verse 45 says, And he went into the temple, and he began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought. Now, before we get too deep into this, I want us to understand the situation there in the temple. So some historic background to what's going on at this time. Several times in the Old Testament, the prophets told us, that Messiah would come and that part of his fulfillment in his coming would be that he would cleanse the temple. Well, Jesus entering the temple after his triumphal entry is fulfillment of those prophecies. But just entering the temple was not enough. He was to enter the temple and cleanse the temple. It was prophesied that it would be so. Then we need to think in the current situation in Jesus' timeline. Not only is this a fulfillment of prophecy, but... To, to understand the need to cleanse the temple is an important thing. What was the situation there? What was the accepted practice? The majority of the temple space, if you were to see a diagram of it, and you might in your book, in your Bible there, in the back cover, or maybe in the pages surrounding our text today, have an actual picture or a diagram of it. The majority of the temple space was the outer courts especially what became known as the court of the Gentiles. This area was established to allow Gentiles to see the Jewish worship practices. I think that's pretty unique that that's what they did. You guys imagine if we had a peanut gallery back there, it's like maybe a balcony. And these aren't people that are part of our worship, but they're, they're welcome to come sit and watch us as we worship. Might change what we're doing, wouldn't it? I guess that's sort of the live stream, isn't it? <laughs> they're just watching us from the outside in. This area then where the Gentiles were allowed to uh, sit and watch the Jewish worship practices is also where they seem to go ahead and justify the allowance of buying and selling at the temple. 
I grew up in churches where it was pretty hush-hush. You weren't supposed to be buying and selling at the church. Uh, but for whatever reason, it was okay to do that in the lobby. You, you couldn't do it in here, but you could do that in the lobby. And usually the preachers who came by with a book to sell, it was okay they got in the pulpit and talked about their book for sale, but you couldn't buy and sell it here. You had to do it out in the lobby. Anybody that's, that's where you are, that's your worldview? A couple of you, yeah. That's how I was raised as well. Give or take what you will in that regard. My policy personally is on that. If they've got good enough material that we want them here, then we want to be able to allow them to pass that along to us, right? But this is what was going on in the, the, the temple area at that time. This Jewish court, well, these Jew, or this Gentile court, these Gentiles are, they're not clean anyways. They can't worship anyways. So if we're going to have buying and selling, where should it go on? Well, let's just have it going out there. Not in here where we're being holy. Let's have it going out there where there's unholiness going on. Now, they had two different types of business practice being transacted there. First, you had currency exchange. And then secondly, you had the buying and the selling of animals. Okay, so currency exchange. We need to understand what that means and what was going on there. People had to come from all different places for these feasts, for these worship gatherings, and they had to pay a temple tax. The typical tax could be paid in the provinces prior to Passover. So several months prior, we've already occurred this in the gospel accounts here, that the tax authorities came to Peter. They said, has your master paid the temple tax? Now, if you didn't pay it then, it could also be paid closer to the Passover. And it was a half shekel tax, but you could only pay it then down at the temple. So if there was going to be that payment going on down at the temple, well, then you had to be able to exchange the currencies or at least be able to give change for what was being paid. The second thing going on there was the buying and the selling of animals. The worshipers did not need to buy the animals at the temple. They could bring their sacrifices with them when they came to the temple. But if you were coming from a long ways off, this was a harder thing for you to do, to not only get yourself there, your family there. There wasn't a McDonald's drive through on the way there. You, you had to get your food there. Then to also bring your sacrificial animal was a harder thing for you to be able to do. So the law stipulated then as a part of this worship that you could take from an animal that would be purchased there closer to there as long as it was without blemish. Now, guess who determined whether or not these animals were without blemish? The same people who at times would be a part of the buying and the selling of these animals. So you can just imagine how that could go wrong. You, you're supposed to bring a goat with you to church this morning, but maybe you drove all the way from the west side of Nashville and you said, it's, just, it's gonna stink up the car by the time I get there. So we would offer goats for you for in the lobby. Now we'd have to charge you a little more because it's just, it's a convenience thing, right? So your goat costs 10 bucks, but we're gonna charge you 12. That's understandable. But then sometimes you'd get here and you'd say, well, I'm just not paying the upcharge. I'm bringing my own goat. Well, as you brought your goat in, we have to say, oh, wait, <laughs> must have been something gross in your car. It sat on it. It's got a blemish. So you can't use your animal as part of the worship today. You're going to have to buy one of ours. And this is the last one we have. So it's usually 12, but it's $24 today. I'm very sorry, but you just got to pay this because other people, they want this if, if you don't. And you're, you've come a long way. So I'm actually, I'm helping you out here. I could be pretty good at this, couldn't I? Before he, I'm going to repent after the sermon today here. Obviously, I have this carnality inside of me. Well, in general, these business practices were not all bad. It was just a thing of convenience that could be converted into something bad or mistreated or misused, susceptible to abuse. 
Another example of the abuse of the practice was the money changers who would handle this exchange of currency. They charged a 6% fee for this. Then if a coin was greater of greater value than the required half shekel, so they had to give change, they would charge an additional 6% to give the change. Now, to put you in mind of how much they were charging here for what was going on, it was about a half day's wage for a laboring man. So if you were someone who worked with your hands day to day, this would have been about half a day's pay, just the fees that they were charging you to get the right amount of change to be able to pay the tax that was required of you on top of that. Anybody feeling like you're too sick to attend church at this point? It's rough stuff, isn't it? So abuses. This is why Jesus needed to cleanse the temple. Another good example of this was the pair of turtle doves. Do you know even why the, the Jewish ceremonies allowed for the pair of turtle doves to be used as sacrifice? Who can answer that one? What do you think? Yeah, for the poor. Because they couldn't always afford a lamb or a goat. So for the poor, they could use a pair of turtle doves as their sacrifice. Well, if you bought it at the temple area, this Gentile court, they would charge as much as 50 times more for that pair of turtle doves there than they would other places or at other times. So Jesus' solution to this is to cleanse the temple. So we read in verse 45, he went into the temple, but we read that he began to cast them out that sold therein and them that bought. Verse 46, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. So he went in, he stopped this corrupt practice, he cleaned them all out. And then he began to explain himself to them. Why did he do this? Well, this was to be a place of prayer. And they had made what should have been a place of prayer into a den of thieves. Through the distraction of the business that was taking place, by the amount of space that was being consumed by the need for this business to be taking place, the intended practice in the temple, prayer, worship, was hindered. Once the buying and the selling was removed, the people could truly be helped. In fact, you can read in uh, other gospel accounts, I think it's Matthew's gospel, that as soon as he began to cast those out who were buying and selling, then he became aware that there were others there who weren't there for that. They were there because they needed healing from the Lord. And Jesus just went over and he began to heal them right there on the spot. The place returned then to a place of worship. The people could pray. The people could be taught. Well, this leads then to the leader's question. If you're not aware, anytime you change what's always been going on or has become common practice, those who feel like they have authority are going to come and say, well, well, what authority do you think you're doing this, buddy? And that's exactly what they say. They didn't, buddy was in the English only, it's not in the Greek. Verse 47 says, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, Tell us by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or, from, or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then believed you him not? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. 
And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto him, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, they're trying to kill Jesus at this point. They are conspiring to get rid of him. Now they can't do this, verse 47 and 48 teaches, because of his popularity with the people. The chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him, but could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. It's amazing that Jesus was allowed to get away with what he's just done. He's come down to the temple, the Jerusalem temple, and turned over tables, whipped some, he's cast them out from doing what the chief priests, the scribes, and the chief of the people have commonly allowed and made part of the traditional thing happening down there. But he wasn't stopped. It's amazing. R.C. Sproul remarks here, you would think that the merchants would have gathered together and killed him, or that the religious officials would have had him arrested. So what was it that restrained them? Humanly speaking, Jesus was surrounded by a thronging multitude cheering him on. Public support was so overwhelmingly in his favor that nobody dared raise a finger against him. Now, after this, they begin to conspire to murder him. Chapter 20, verse 1, while he's teaching one day, they come to him, and some new information is given to us here in verse number 1. Notice this. And it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders. Now, you could take that back to verse 47 and say it's the chief priests, the scribes, and the chief of the people, possibly, but it seems like they've gone and gotten, gotten a different group here. Luke gives us a different term. He calls them the elders. Now, we would know the elders, if you study out the hierarchy of their time, these would be the chief of the Sanhedrin, the highest officials in their religious court. And they cleverly ask here this question that they devised to be able to entrap him. Verse number two, they spake saying, tell us by what authority thou doest these things or who is he that gave you this authority? Now Jesus was a rabbi, but he, he wasn't a rabbi because he had been ordained by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was not recognized as an official of Judaism. So by asking him this question, they're hoping to trap him. If he claimed to operate under his own authority, then he's charged with blasphemy. But if he had no authority, then they could discredit him and stop him and say, this man has no authority. So they placed him in what they've created as a dilemma to, to obviously try and discredit him, to, to, to end the people's popularity of him so they can deal with him as they want. Now Jesus answers their question with a question in verse 3 and 4. He answered and said unto them, I will also... Ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? So being keen on what they're trying to do here, he moves the focus of attention from himself to John the Baptist. And he asks them about the source of John's authority. So here comes some religious officials. They ask Jesus about the source of his authority. Now just, be, just think commonly here. All else aside, the authority, he's God in the flesh, all of that that we know, what's given him his authority at this point? The large masses of people who want to hear what he has to say. That's, a lot, that's something, isn't it? Now take that to Jesus' shift. 
He shifts away from himself to John the Baptist. And if you knew nothing else about John the Baptist, what is one thing you could say gave John the Baptist his authority? The large masses of people who came out in the wilderness place where he was baptizing there to hear what he had to say. Now you could take that or leave it. You could say, well, that's good, or you could say that's bad, no matter how you feel about that. When the circus comes to town, large people get up and go, large amounts of people get up and go see it. It's a unique thing, isn't it? Well, Luke gives us insight into their discussion. I'm glad Luke does this. We don't just know in verse 3 and 4 that Jesus has shifted the tension. We, we know from verses 5 through 7 that these guys kind of huddle up there. You know, you ever seen the Three Stooges? They get, <laughs> that's probably a better illustration, but you guys needed to smile a little bit. They got the Three Stooges at times can't figure out exactly what they're going to do there. So Larry, Curly, and Mo they huddle up here, arms around the heads there, and they decide what they're going to do there, and then they go and they enact their plan. This is what I think about when I think about the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the elders here. And in my mind, there's only three of them, even though there's three people groups. But we get to hear exactly what they're discussing when they're in their little huddle. Verse 5, they reasoned with themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then believe you not? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And so what did they decide? Verse 7, they answered, that they could not tell whence it was. That's in very old English there. Can somebody retranslate the end of verse number seven from the Greek into modern day, middle Tennessee, southern redneck for us? I ain't got a clue. <laughs> Even better than I thought. I was hoping somebody would say, I don't know. <laughs> Baby Ryan over here says, I ain't got a clue. That's exactly right. Well studied in the scriptures, Rory. Thank you. This is exactly what these guys said. Now, what's the problem with that? Who are these people? They are the authority. They're the ones that for all of time, for the, everyone else's lives, when you didn't have a clue, you went down and you asked these guys and they would give you an answer. And their answer is, well, I don't know. The reasoning within themselves, they said, well, if we say this, he's going to say that. If we say this, he's going to say that. But let's just say we don't know. Jesus, we want to know the source of your authority. You must give an answer. And Jesus said, well, what's the source of John's authority? We don't know. They set out to trap Jesus, but instead he does to them what they were trying to do to him. I'd like to have been there. I would like to have seen the reaction on these guys' faces. I would have liked to have seen the reaction by the crowd of bystanders as they see this thing play out. And then Jesus' response is easy. Verse 8, he says, Neither shall I tell you by what authority I do these things. And at that, the confrontation is over. And for the moment, these conspirators are stalled and they're humiliated. Now, that was quick and easy and painless until we get to us. This God doesn't intend us to have this without applying this. I think we have a, a plenty good understanding of what these verses are to be interpreted to say and mean. But how are they to be applied? It's easy to be understood, but it's a little bit harder for us to implement. I think there's two points of emphasis we can make here. What's going on that shouldn't be? In you, you are the temple. 
And then let's take that a step further. We, we gather at this location to worship and people gather in homes and people gather in gymnasiums. And we for a while gathered at the Civic Center, wherever that may be. We'll, we'll just use this as our location because it's where we're gathered today. But what's going on in our place of worship that shouldn't be? going on in you you are the temple are you attached to things are you consumed with buying and sailing not sailing selling if you sail that's you're good I don't know if that's sinful how's your house of prayer become a robber's den make those same applications in our place of worship Is this a house of prayer? Or are we more concerned with the methods of current church practice? Think of what their practice would look like now. Their sacrifice had to be spotless. While that's important for holiness, the abuse brought it to be a preferential thing. In the modern church, I would say we're just as susceptible to such a practice. A select people with select preference, allowing only select practices. Then you have a den of thieves in a place of prayer. They had to pay a temple tax. They had to have the proper currency. This business was profiting off of the worship of God. Nothing at the church should be for the sake of building bigger barns. We are not to be profiting off the gospel. We're not here to profit, especially not off the word. So I think a good application here is in our personal lives and then in our gathered lives as we corporately are the church. Let's not have things going on that shouldn't be. The flip side of that is what should be going on that isn't. Same, same idea there in you, the temple, or in our place of worship here. Are we caring for the needy? Are we praising Jesus? Are we praising Jesus or are we praising man? This application is easy to see, but to implement it would rock the boat. Jesus had to go in and turn over some tables. Jesus had to go in and upset the leadership. I wonder what table must be under, overturned at our church. What table needs to be overturned in your life to allow the simplicity intended with your relationship of Jesus? I wonder what we're going to have to let go of as Harpeth Baptist Church in the traditional sense so that people can truly be helped. Those who had gathered at the temple on this day and probably more so on this day. Jesus had just made his triumphal entry. This was not a random cold and dreary Sunday in November. This was pre-Easter for us. For them, it was pre-kingdom come, right? I mean, they stood on the side of the the road celebrating because they thought, oh, he's, he's on a horse. This is our king. They said, oh, he's going to the temple. We, we hoped he'd go to the government building, but hey, he's going to start at the temple. This is it. 
We're either about to have back what's ours or, or he's gonna, we're going to start a war one way or the other. We're good with this. I don't think they intended for him to come in there that day and sort of turn the tables on them. But he did. He said, you're doing all of these things and you're not actually doing what we intended you to do these things for. You're not worshiping. You're not being holy. What would that look like in the church? And I think it just starts on the throne of your heart. I think it starts in you as an individual and then in your home. And it'll spread like wildfire if each person, each family represented here will allow that to start in the throne of their heart. It'll spread into the church easily. But it won't happen in the church until it happens in you. Did you worship? We, we, we try to have a biblical plan for the worship. A, a, a call to, to worship. A prayer. Songs. We're, we're to sing songs to our God. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We confess doctrine together. We read scripture together. We give our offerings of thanksgiving. We pray thanksgiving. We pray confession. A pastor comes up and prays for the sick and the world and our evangelistic efforts. We hear from the word and then we sing some more and then we go home. But do we actually worship? Do we go through the routine of this and say, well, I've done that. Do you ever go through it and wonder why we do some of the things we do? You can be honest about that. It's all purposely planned and intended to get you to want to worship more. Brother Scott, he said you went to a football game yesterday. You forgot when you gave it to me this morning. I get to go last. You see, this is the problem. No, I'm just kidding. Did they have anybody down there with cue cards for the fans? They hold them up, tell you what to say. D, and then the one that says, well, they don't say fence. What's it got? Because people in Alabama can't read. <laughs> <laughs> But why, why do they do this? Why do they have these cue cards? They hold it up over here and they want all you guys. It's got a big D on it. They want you to say together in unison. D. And then over here you're supposed to say. Yes. D. So you get it from that regard. Well, this is Preston's job. <laughs> Believe it or not. The brother Preston gets up here on Sunday mornings and he's sign up for things. But let's praise the Lord. And what is he saying to the church? Worship, worship. And then we come right behind. And I don't have to belabor the point. You get the idea. And you can have the opposite of that. I'm taking the positive there. I'm assuming that, boy, you guys are worshiping in your homes. You're worshiping in your private quiet time. But when we come back together, maybe, maybe we don't quite get there some Sundays. And maybe you did. I don't know. I'm not sure if you worshipped or not. The negative of that would be is you could come to church and you could sort of put it on. Smile real big and put up your hand and clap. Or maybe some tears come down. But at home, there's no worship. Monday through Saturday, it's everything else. And then all of a sudden on Saturday night, you just kind of got to get yourself together. Because, oh yeah, we're, 
I've got to go worship down at the church tomorrow. I've got to get my heart right for worship. I think probably a good way to respond to this text this morning is to simply say to Christ, I mean, you could go to one avenue with it. Turn some tables over in my life. I like the less dramatic approach. Lord, what tables need to be turned over in my life? I believe that's the response to the text we have before us today. We hold on to things because of tradition. We hold on to things because of order. We hold on to things because we just like to hold on to things. We begin to do things that are good ideas. Hey, some people have to travel a long way to get here to worship. We should just have some animals for them here. Well, those animals cost something. Well, we'll pass them along to them at cost. But over time, it become a thing. Well, we can make some money off of this. Who's to say somebody traveling a long way is not very wealthy and could afford to give it? And we could use it. It becomes corrupt. What is meant to be holy and good and biblical in your life, but has become corrupt? What is meant to become convenient in your life and has led to just the lack of sanctity? Would you be willing this morning to let Jesus have a triumphal entry into your home and to to cleanse you, the temple, to turn over some tables? That's how I'd like to, to respond this morning. Would you stand with me? Let's take some time and say, Lord, what tables do you need to overturn in my life? What traditions do you want to go away that I might embrace just doing good works? What customs do I need to let go of so that I'm actually just worshiping you? Let's take some time as his church and ask him that question.